0: You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go.
1: welcome along to the all new Cut to the Race News Roundup, a new weekly show covering the news, rumours and opinions from the F1 world, brought to you by the Formula Nerds team. I'm Dan, and on the show today we have Charlotte, who is of course a news writer here at the Nerds. Charlotte, how are you?
2: I'm great, thanks. How are you?
1: I'm, I'm great, thanks. Looking forward to this one. Jay, how are you? You're also a news writer at the Nerds.
0: I'm buzzing. It's been a really good weekend. I'm happy to be here and get all nerdy with Formula One.
1: We like the sound of that. So neither of you have been on the podcast before. Charlotte, do you want to talk to the listeners about your F1 self? Favourite teams, drivers, tracks, all of that.
2: Okay, so I guess that I would love to say that my favourite team is McLaren, big up the papayas. Um, That means that my favourite driver is Lando Norris, but Daniel Ricciardo is a very close second. Um, Tracks-wise... I would have to say I do like Bahrain because I love the wheel to wheel racing. So I definitely say that is
0: definitely a highlight.
1: That's a good answer. That's not what I thought you were gonna say, but that's a good answer. Jay, what about you? Exactly the same question.
0: I am a bit of a Pierre Gasly fanboy, lovely guy, really good driver, and I think he's gonna go far. And in terms of favourite track, I'm gonna be a bit controversial, maybe a bit obscure, but Singapore, I'm pretty devastated it's not in Ooh. Canada again this year. Mm. But why is... Singapore? Why Singapore? Do you know what? I think it's a real track during qualifying, a bit like Monaco where the driver can really make the difference. I think this is Monaco, but better. It's it's more attractive to look at, it's at night, and you can kind of overtake, but not quite overtake, but it's still got that jeopardy of the walls lining the track as well.
1: I like that, I like that. That's the scene of one of the best start line crashes, isn't it? 2017. Sticks in my mind.
0: And when a driver does a a brilliant lap during qualifying at Singapore, it's one of those ones where maybe this is quite nerdy, but I could just watch it on repeat on YouTube.
1: You look back to Hamilton 2018, don't you? That's his best lap of his career that he says in Singapore.
0: I'd be lying if I said I don't watch that lap every single night. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Before you go to bed. Um, so, as, re- as we're recording this, we've just had the French Grand Prix last weekend, which was a bit of a banger for France. Charlotte, what are your thoughts on that? We were expecting nothing, but whew, we had our race.
2: Yeah, it was really exciting. I wasn't expecting much coming into that weekend. Uh, I thought it was just going to be a very plain one, not many overtakes. God, it was packed with overtakes especially right down to the wire
1: and Jay we had fans back as well how pleased were you to see the grandstands full again
0: it's so good to see fans you could hear when Verstappen overtook Hamilton at the end yeah. you could hear like a roar from the crowd I think it just adds another dimension it adds more excitement and it was really good to be to see them back yeah another thing with France it's been a bit of a controversial opinion but I don't think it's that bad of a track I think it gets a lot of unwarranted hate so there's been what three races there now one one good one one really good one on sunday and two bad ones i mean two to one in the modern era i don't think it's a bad ratio i'm sure if you looked at spa if you looked at monza just at maybe silverstone as well they that ratio is probably kind of similar between sort of eh, meh races and exciting races so don't rule that like poor car just yet
1: is that just because you're French and you support Pierre? You're not French, sorry. I mean, to think <laughs> <Jasmine's> French.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't mind going back to Magnicore. And my favourite track is weirdly Singapore. But don't rule it out just yet. You know, especially next year, new cars, closer following, more wheel-to-wheel racing. It's not a bad circuit. It's just those dazzling runoff areas, but... You kind of have it all your own way. Can yeah,
1: you? they are a bit annoying. They are a bit annoying. Now, on the Sunday podcast following the French Grand Prix, I spoke a bit about our chat with Mario Izzola that Charlotte, me and you were at, speaking to him about all things tyres to do with Pirelli F1. Do you want to just clarify further what he said in case anyone didn't listen on Sunday?
2: Yes. Yeah, so basically Dan and I spoke to him after the race. It was a great opportunity to speak about the French Grand Prix, the changes that they have made and looking on to Austria in the future. So in regards to the incident that we did see in Baku, Mario said that he felt that it was a good step in the right direction after the French Grand Prix as he felt more confident that next year the teams and Pirelli will be able to monitor the running pressures with the standard centre. And in regards to Sunday's Grand Prix with the tyre degradation, he explained the cooler temperatures and clean surface due to the rain in the morning, caused some teams to struggle more than others. Also, the one-stop strategy did still work. Hamilton, as we saw, was on the one-stop strategy and lasted to the end of the race. But we also saw the graining with the two-stop strategy became very interesting. And Mario said, as I quote, Max did the perfect job and allowed him to attack in the last part of the race and get the win. He further explained the working relationship he had with the teams, in which they're able to provide feedback on new technical directives and help give suggestions moving forward. And Dan, you asked a great question about how Pirelli work out the tyre classifications for new circuits, including the Saudi Arabia track, which is new to the calendar and will be the penultimate race of the 2021 season. Basically, in this, he said the system is after the layout of the circuit is available, team simulations and the asphalt, which is the roughness of the track, um, to understand the grip levels, they can work out the classifications for the tyres. The general approach they have is to choose the softest choice as they don't have enough elements to choose from beforehand. But after that, they may be able to go for a more aggressive choice in the following year with more data at hand. But finally, he told us that they decided to use the C2, C3 and C4 tyre for the first event in Austria. And then following that, it will be the C3, C4 and C5. So a step softer for the second event. Obviously, the teams will be able to provide more information of the C3 and C4 tyre and obviously not the C5 for the following week. And with the C5, he said that in Austria, it can be quite an aggressive choice. So this may make more cars opt for a two-stop strategy in the second event in Austria. But I think at the moment, the forecast for the weekend may be thunderstorms, which means the teams will be using the intermediate or wet tyres. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it was great to get his insight on everything.
1: Oh, I'm praying for a wet race. I really am. I could just... It- Imola was so great. I could really do with a wet race. Uh, Jay, the last two races have been ruled very much by tyres with the degradation in France and then the tyre explosions in Baku. Do you like that or do you prefer it to be done purely based on driver ability?
0: Do you know what? I do like a race based on strategy. I mean, don't get me wrong, I would absolutely love if Verstappen-Hamilton came up in the same lap and they just had a slugfest lap after lap trying to get past each other but that element of strategy especially at tracks where maybe it's harder to overtake like Barcelona like Paul Ricard it just adds another element to it and then you never quite know whether the hunter's is going to catch their prey so uh, I am quite a big fan of it and with what Charlotte was saying just then I'm quite happy that Pirelli have changed the uh, their tyres between Styria and Austria but I think last year when we had the doubleheader both at the same track In Austria, they kept the tyre compounds the same for both weeks. And I think the second weekend was nowhere near as good as the first weekend. I mean, the first weekend was just utterly bonkers and it would have been impossible to follow. But having that change, I mean, it throws a new dimension into the works. I mean, it it probably won't even matter if it completely pours rain all weekend. But I'm excited to see how that pans out. And I wouldn't mind another sort of similar race to Barcelona or to Paul Ricard. I mean, if we've got another, what, 15 of them for the rest of the season... I'm sure as F1 fans, we'd
1: all be happy. Yeah, you you can't complain with what we've had so far. We've had seven races and each one of them, arguably with the exception of Monaco, has been absolutely incredible. Charlotte, can you pick a favourite so far or is that just an impossible question?
2: Ooh, that is a hard one, you know. That is a really hard one. I would have to say maybe Imola a lot was happening and especially with that one compared to last year I remember 2020 I thought oh no it's not going to be that exciting but with the wet conditions especially it absolutely added a completely another dimension obviously this is going to be a tough one Dan sorry to bring it up but Bottas and Russell's Crash yeah that was uh, very interesting Um, out of interest
1: who do you place blame on for that?
2: (laughs) right um uh, For the I, listeners, I I'm
1: praying right now. I'm literally praying.
2: This kind of pains me to say it, but I do think that it was Russell ever, ever more slightly, yes. a little bit more. But uh,
0: yeah, I think I'd go yeah. Charlotte. It, uh, it is, it is sort of six to one and a half a dozen or the other, but yeah, maybe fifty-one forty-nine in favour of Russell. <laughs>
1: Talking of Bottas, that segues nicely into the next news item. So Toto Wolff has said in the media that he's very pleased that Bottas voiced his frustrations on the team radio. After France, he obviously wanted to do a two-stop strategy and got shafted and did a one-stop strategy. Do you think Toto's actually pleased or do you think this is just good media? Jay, what do you think?
0: I'm glad that Bottas done it and I think... Do I, think, do I think Toto's glad? Probably not. I think Ooh. Th- the benefit of having Bottas there is, is clear. Bottas is a very, very good driver. He's proved it. Especially when he's at Williams and he was beating the likes of Felipe Massa. He's a very capable man. He's won, what, nine Grand Prix, loads of poles. And on his day, he can push Lewis Hamilton. But he's, he's there to do a job, I think. He's there to come second. And especially in a season like this where Red Bull are so close to Mercedes. He's there to ensure they win the Constructors Championship they need two drivers this year unlike in previous years so do I think he's happy do I think Toto Wolff is happy that Bottas is getting a bit angry probably not I mean it's good to see that he's obviously cares about it and he's passionate and all these other things I mean to be fair but where was his passion last year when it was a two horse race where was his passion in 2019 when it was largely a two horse race where's his passion been to really win now when it's a well, it's a two-horse race, and he—and he's not one of the horses. He's getting angry now. It's all a bit too late, <laughs> in my opinion, anyway. But yeah, uh, Total Wolf probably—he probably likes the aggression, but he'd prefer it if Bottas sort of stayed in his lane and became the true wingman like he was back in seventeen, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, when Vettel was sniffing around.
1: He's not going to like that, that you've called him a wingman. Not that he's listening, but he's not going (laughs) to like that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Gartry.
2: Well, I think this aggression has definitely come from his awful luck for the last few weeks, especially Monaco with that awful pit stop. Um, Baku just wasn't really going his way either. He wasn't able to make his way up the field. So I think this week he was finally showing more pace. Things were looking more his way. And then just from the beginning, he was struggling with the tyre degradation. He obviously wanted to do the two-stop strategy. The team were obviously not listening. But I have to say, I feel like this has happened before, but in a less aggressive way. I've, I remember many other times, Bartas has said to his engineer that he wants to go on a different strategy to Lewis Hamilton. Um, whatever he has, he wants to go on the opposite. But then he comes in to the pits and he leaves the pits for the exact same tyre, that Lewis Hamilton has, the same strategy that he was told to do. So I I think it was great that he finally snapped. I think it was great. But as Jay said, in regards to Toto Wolff, he probably didn't like that it was more
0: aimed at the team.
1: Do either of you think this will make a difference going forwards?
0: Uh, I I think Bottas is done with Mercedes. And I know that's a bold claim, but... I think he's done. You know when you see when when you leave your workplace and you give him your two weeks notice, you don't really care what happens. You couldn't really give a monkey's. I think he's sort of at that stage now where he knows that Russell's probably going to be in that seat next year. So I think he's racing for himself. I mean, you sort of saw at Barcelona when Hamilton was getting past him, obviously, yeah, that massive tyre advantage, but Bottas made it surprisingly difficult. I think the Bottas of 2017, 2018, when he was fresh to the team, didn't want to ruffle any feathers, would have easily just let him go past but now he's sort of a bit more aggressive a bit more angry and I think he knows he's on borrowed time so why is he gonna bother you know playing the team game if he's gonna be at the job soon
2: well that's the thing with the amount of gossip that's going around at the moment with you know Russell being said that he's definitely gonna be having the Mercedes seat it's it's got to be getting to him and I don't blame him for showing this aggression and He is a good driver. He is really good, but he will always be second to Lewis Hamilton, especially this season. Um, Max is just completely outperforming him. He's completely out of this race. You know, he's behind Lando Norris and Sergio Perez in the standings, so it's not looking good for him.
0: And then just to bring it back to this weekend in France, what I said after the race, he thinks he would have guaranteed a podium if he'd done the two-stop, possibly could have won. I think Mercedes knew that, but... Soon it, when they committed Hamilton to the one-stop strategy and they, they knew that it was basically will Verstappen catch him they could have easily bought in Bottas guaranteed third place because he probably would have caught the parents with tire advantage but straight away I mean this is what round seven, round eight of the season it's really early on in the season still but they've already got Bottas playing the, the wingman role helping Hamilton he was left out there to try and block Verstappen and he didn't really do his role and do I think he really cared? I don't think so. I think maybe secretly Bottas probably prefers Verstappen. You know, what I mean, getting past Hamilton.
1: That's interesting you say that because I tweeted after the race as a bit of a passing comment. I said that Mercedes today put, well, it's not today now, but when I tweeted it, it was Mercedes today put Lewis Hamilton's feelings ahead of the team's constructors championship hopes by leaving Bottas out there. Because Bottas could have quite easily beaten Hamilton if he had done the two-stop strategy. Do you think there's anything in that? Or do you think that is just me being too much of a Bottas fan?
0: I actually agree with you. Let's go. To be fair, often with your your Bottas opinions, sometimes I'm a bit taken aback. But this one, I do really agree with you. I mean, to be fair, ever since he's joined Mercedes, he's been a strong number two. And I think that's, that's undeniable. Even as much as you love Bottas, I'm sure... Even you've got to admit somewhere that he is a number two driver. 2017 against Vettel, wingman. 2018 against Vettel, wingman. 2019, 2020, when Mercedes were clearly dominant, he wasn't really there. I think for Bottas to be put on a favourable strategy and get the favourable support from the team for that weekend, he has to be clearly ahead of Hamilton and there hasn't got to be any sort of title worries. And obviously, this year there are. So, can I see him getting any kind of favourable uh, benefits from Mercedes this year? Probably not. I think. Say, let's say uh, next weekend in Austria, Hamilton's fifth and Bottas is fourth. I think you hear Valtteri's James over the radio, and they say swap positions. Even this early on in the season.
1: This I was just about to say. This early on in the season.
0: This early on in the season because. This is a very, very tight championship, and to be fair, come Abu Dhabi, it could be three or four points, which which settle this. And is is there really really any point when uh, it's so close to throwaway points like that? I mean, what do you think? Do, do you honestly think, Dan, as a Bottas fan, that he is still in with a shout of winning this world title?
1: My my heart says yes, but my head says no. But anyway, we're going to move on from Bottas Chat, because otherwise we'll be here all day, into some very good news for the F1 world, and that is that the Abu Dhabi-Yasmarina circuit have announced that they are finally making some changes to the layout, with the aim of making racing more exciting. Thank goodness. I think I speak for everyone when I say thank goodness, but thank goodness. That infamous chicane's being taken out, that's being being taken out in favour of adding in a hairpin, and turns 11, 12, 13, and 14 have been taken out and made way for one banked left-hander. The circuit have obviously released a statement when they released this news, saying, We've been listening to our spectators, the fans, the drivers, F1 and the FIA, and we've been working on making some changes, exciting changes, this year to the layout of the track. We will be undergoing some modifications to the track over the summer in time for this year's edition of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. The objective, ultimately, is to create more opportunities for close wheel-to-wheel racing. How pleased are you to see this, Charlotte? I mean, everyone's thrilled, surely. It can't get any worse there.
2: Oh, 100%. Last year's race was boring. Just outright, it was pretty shocking. Nothing really happened. I think the only things that I can properly remember was Daniel Ricciardo went for a long, longer stint on a hard tyre. So he got ahead of a few people through the overcut. And I think Stroll had a few issues, so we dropped down the field. But other than that, wherever people qualified, they stayed. And I just want to see more will to action, especially in the season finale. You know, the fireworks are going off. I want to see fireworks on track.
0: The fact that you actually remembered all of that, Charlotte, is impressive. I Honestly, all I remember was it was Verstappen won, I think Bottas came second, Hamilton came third, and the rest of it is just a blur of colours. Actually, and Norris came fifth, Albon came fourth, I remember that. But in, a time of, in an era of dominance... But like there's been recently, where Hamilton just wins, wins, wins. Abu Dhabi is the perfect finale. And for it to go to that next level where it's perfect finale for when it's a championship decider, it needs to have better racing. And will these changes make better racing? Hopefully. I mean, that chicane in the uh, in the first sector that they've got rid of should hopefully allow more overtaking down the first long straight. It's, it's good to see that they've actually, they're trying new things, they're tinkering with it, and hopefully come December, it will provide a good race.
1: The thing that makes me laugh about Abu Dhabi is obviously normally circuits you have to kind of build around what's already there. Whereas Herman Tilke designed this circuit, he was given just a massive desert basically, and he created the shambles that we have. He could have created any brilliant racetrack. He's done some brilliant racetracks, you know. He designed Kota; that's one of his one of his best, I'd say. And then he designs ones like Russia and Abu Dhabi. I'm not too sure, so I'm quite glad the circuit have kind of acknowledged that maybe this wasn't the best decision, and they've and they've moved on. Are there any circuits that either of you would like to see other changes from on the calendar, Charlotte? Any that spring out to you?
2: Um, I'm not quite sure right now. I guess i I don't want Monaco to change, but I guess obviously there's there's no overtaken opportunities, so I don't know what you could change. But if there was like a, a possibility to have a longer straight or something where there's more overtaking opportunities i think that would make a more exciting grand prix but off the top of my head no i'm not really or just
1: sure. any straight in monaco would be good not even the pit straight straight
0: it's a bend <laughs> yeah
2: that's very true actually you got a good point there
0: i think the thing with in monaco is is built around existing infrastructure houses restaurants, shops all that kind of stuff so there's not much you can do and the same with with sochi it's built around olympic park I think the reason people get so angry with Tilka for Abu Dhabi is like you said before Dan it is literally just a desert and he could have built anything there but it feels like rather than the infrastructure being built around the track the track is built around the infrastructure that's why people get so angry so yeah Abu Dhabi I'd like to see changed I wouldn't mind seeing different layouts every year with circuits and this is sort of like a maybe an unpopular opinion but France has got what, 150 layouts Maybe each each switch up a little bit. Silverstone, I wouldn't mind seeing them. Maybe one year they go back to the old throwback track. They start on the old pit straight and then they go left at Abbey rather than right up through the loop section. I'm sure there many been iterations of circuits out there, but just to keep it fresh, you know, so you know, like especially tracks like Silverstone where we we, we go to every single year, the teams have so much data there. In mean, all, the, most of the teams are based in England anyway, so they are never set up the back of their hands. If you just throw in. Yeah, I mean, a, a different configuration maybe every couple of years. It just keeps things fresh and spicy. So I wouldn't mind seeing that as like a new sort of thing Liberty little introduce.
1: Fair enough. I like the sound of some of that. I'm not sure I personally would like Silverstone changed, but I'm quite traditional with that sort of thing.
0: And not even the old layout.
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced by it. You're probably too young to remember the old layout. Dan, anyway yeah probably probably. but anyway (laughs) moving on from the news we've got some silly season talk which there's not a whole lot to talk about this week hopefully we'll have more as the week progress we do have the news that Ocon has signed a three year contract extension with Alpine Jay as a Gasly fan does that worry you slightly because Gasly was very heavily linked to Alpine and this has almost shut that door for him with Fernando also being confirmed for the team next year
0: it does I would have liked to see Gasly in that Alpine seat next year but obviously Alonso's got a 2 year contract so he's going to be there next year and Ocon's now signing this contract so he's got a long term future there which does leave Gasly in a sort of weird predicament i think he needs to get out of that Red Bull setup i can't see him going back to the main team and at AlphaTauri i feel like he's his talents are kind of wasted in a, a low midfield team even though that's where Alpine are now so for Gasly it's annoying as a Gasly fan,
1: do you think Ocon deserves this Charlotte? So he he's been slightly underwhelming so far in the season. He's behind Alonso in the championship. who's had 2 years out of F1. Do you think he deserves this contract this early in the season?
2: Well, this is the thing is that I'd say since last year, he felt very forgettable, which is something that really did upset me because I was Harsh, really looking forward to him. Yeah, I mean, I was looking forward to him coming back to Formula 1. Um, you know, he did a great stint in racing point and obviously then he lost his seat for uh, 2019 and came back to Renault last year but he was constantly getting outperformed by Ricardo for most of the season. He then had that amazing podium for the Sakir Grand Prix but I just hope that now this could give him the possibility of having more confidence now can get his head down and actually start scoring a lot stronger points because Alpine so far this season just haven't really got up there yet.
1: Do you think they can? Do you think they'll improve?
2: Well, I remember with the Renault last year, they were really good on straight line speeds, So I think they did really well in Monza, I would like to say. And Spa. I'm saying names, and I'm not 100% confident, but I'm going to say them anyways. Um,
1: we're nodding along, we're nodding along, it's good. Okay,
2: it's good. that's great. So yeah, obviously we haven't gone to those circuits as of yet, so maybe... Um, you know they'll be able to be a bit more competitive at those circuits. So yeah, I just I just want Ocon to do well. He seems so nice.
0: This is a question I was going to pose to both of you. Do you think that so 2023 when Oher when Alonso's contract runs out, and I, I, I don't know, I, I personally can't see him sticking around. He'd be what 42 then. He'll probably be a bit too old, and especially because there's so much young talent like Zhao Yu Zhao in Formula Two. Do you think right that? From a a marketing point of view, for Alpine, it would benefit them to have two French drivers at a French team, have Gasly there, have Ocon there. I know the two aren't exactly best friends, but I think from a marketing point of view, from a strategical point of view, it makes sense to have two French drivers at a French team.
1: I know exactly what you're saying, and if Gasly is still at AlphaTauri next season, and Alonso decides to not stay with the team in 2023 I think that will happen because I don't think Alpine will look too much at the friendship because as you say they're not the best of friends but I think Alpine have now lost a chance of grabbing Gasly I just can't see him staying at AlphaTauri he seems to want to go back to Red Bull I can't see that happening so if that doesn't happen next season I feel like he'd want to escape that driver programme as quick as possible Charlotte what do you what do you think?
2: Well, I was thinking about this the other day as well. I just, if he does, obviously Ocon's now signed, so he doesn't look like he'll be getting the Alpine for next year. And he is doing incredible at AlphaTauri, you have to say. He's already scored a podium. He's looking really competitive and qualifying. Um, I just feel like he's got a good relationship with the AlphaTauri team. But like you say, I can't see him going to Red Bull, especially with Perez now performing amazingly. Alex Albon probably still wants to come back to Red Bull. So I don't know where else Gasly could go, which does worry me because I do not want him to be losing a seat like you know Perez struggled with last season.
0: This is this is the thing with Gasly is that there's no opportunity for him to advance his career currently. Obviously he had that Red Bull opportunity probably a bit too early in his career. But now when you look at the teams who are better now for Tauri so you say McLaren, Ricardo long-term deal, Norris long-term deal, Ferrari on a long-term deal and signs, he's probably a placeholder for until Schumacher develops his skills at uh, Haas and in the top teams that Hamilton that Hamilton seat that Russell seat are probably guaranteed for maybe a couple more years if Hamilton does choose to stick around and at Red Bull like you said he's probably not going to end up like a Red Bull so I do feel sorry for Gasly as biased as that sounds he just doesn't seem to have any sort of future at a top team which is sad because I think he's especially on form, one of the best drivers currently.
1: No, I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. We'll talk about this a lot more as the season progresses and all the driver transfers start happening. But we just have to wait and see. It's always so hard to tell. 2020 saw one of the silliest city seasons that we've had. You know, who would have thought Vettel would end up at Aston Martin in Paris would end up at Red Bull? But anyway, moving on, we have the Austrian Grand Prix next weekend, which we've already alluded to. Was a very good race last year, at least for Austria 1. Charlotte, you looking forward to Austria this year?
2: Oh, yeah. Really excited. Opening race of the season last year was insane. It was mental. There was nine retirements. Nine. Latifi was one point away from... One grid place away, even, from uh, getting a point. But he was technically last, but still, he was 11th.
1: <laughs> that that... uh The Austrian race brings back good memories for you as a fan of a certain Mr. Lando Norris.
2: Oh, I mean, who could forget his maiden podium, you know? It was such a crazy race. He already started from P3 after Hamilton's penalty. Then he lost a few grid positions against the Red Bull Mercedes and then Albon tangled with Hamilton doing a repeat of Brazil. And then Hamilton got that penalty and then... Norris got in five seconds within Hamilton and he got his P3 it was oh just so exciting it was so exciting
1: I can hear the excitement in your voice now
2: (laughs) I couldn't even get all
0: my words out I'm that excited
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jay what do you think everyone needs to look out for at Austria this weekend?
0: I think what they need to look out for is Rebel again being not dominant but certainly being on pace with Mercedes when you look last year uh both Austria races, Mercedes, walked them in a sense. I mean, I know Red Bull struggled at the first one, but the second one, Hamilton was completely in the distance. Do you know, what, if you said to me after Baku, and you said Red Bull will be on pace with Merck at Paul Ricard and Austria, I probably would have laughed because when you, especially, looked when you look at the early part of the season and you look at sort of similar tracks, uh, Spain, Portugal, Mercedes were c- convincing winners. But after seeing how good Red Bull were on Sunday, I think they go into this doublehead in Austria as slight favourites again.
1: That's interesting you say that, because last Sunday on the podcast, I said that I think Mercedes are going to win it, and we all had different views. So I think that just shows this season is just impossible to call. Charlotte, who do you think's favourite going into it?
2: Well... It is, it's like you said, it's really hard to say, because last year, you know, your man Bottas won on the first one, then Hamilton won the second. Yes! <laughs> but with the way this season's going and Max's pace, they just look unstoppable. And now Perez is on par with the Red Bull. I really do think Mercedes should watch their backs, but... I kind of want Mercedes to win to keep, you know, this championship battle going, to close that gap again, to just make it more exciting for the following races.
0: Is, isn't is it crazy that you would have never thought at the start of the season, you would have said, I really want Mercedes to win to keep the championship battle alive. Literally. Who would have never thought you would have said that?
1: I was just I thinking that. That is insane. That is don't,
0: insane. Rule out, don't rule out Lando Norris this weekend either. Very uh, true. He's, he's, he's proved himself very capable at Austria and in the wet and this weekend we're at Austria and it's wet so don't rule out Norris for maybe a surprise result.
1: He's the only driver to score points in every race this season and he's also the only driver to move forwards from his qualifying position by the end of the race on Sunday so he's definitely a dark horse all will be revealed after the race next weekend, for now we can just make predictions, make sure you're Always looking at Formula Nerd social media as we bring reports from every single session. Right, the final thing we're going to talk about today is the press conference pairings. Looking ahead to this weekend's Austrian or Spielberg Grand Prix is this weekend, I believe, isn't it? Not Austrian. I think Austria's number two, Spielberg's number one.
2: Yeah, the Styrian Grand Prix this weekend.
1: Styrian Grand Prix. I was close, I was close. So I suppose the standout press conference pairing is that Father son pairing, well it's not, but it seems that way, of Seb and Mick. Jay, are you looking forward to Seb and Mick together in the press conference?
0: Joe, it's very wholesome, isn't it, seeing it is Vettel it is. and Schumacher sort of Vettel's kinda of taking him under his wing and I think maybe Vettel feels like he's repaying the favour for when obviously Mick's father Michael was in Formula and Vettel was making his name, He's sort of done the same for him. Do you always remember I think it was uh, twenty twelve in Brazil and Schumacher just let him pass easily. And now he maybe he's just repaying him for that. So it's very wholesome. I do really like them. At the end of the race, they're sort of hugging and chatting. And it's really good for Schumacher. to have obviously such an experienced head as a companion in the paddock.
1: So just to run you through the other pairings quickly, you've got Yuki Tsunoda with Lance Stroll, Kimi Raikkonen with Carlos Sainz, Pierre Gasly with Valtteri Bottas, Esteban Ockham and Lando Norris, Giovinazzi with Alonso, Hamilton with Latifi, Mazepin with Russell, Leclerc with Ricardo, and Verstappen versus Perez but I feel the real spice comes in the team principal press conference Charlotte we've got Toto Wolff and Christian Horner together what do you make of that they're not exactly best friends
2: yeah they've had quite a few words to say to each other at the moment this season haven't they I guess uh, we'll see what they say especially after the French Grand Prix I'm sure Horner will be Hyping up his two stop strategy compared to a Mercedes one stop. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: One word answer from both of you. Who do you think is going to win? Charlotte? The
2: driver? Yeah. Oh. oh. I'm going
0: to say Hamilton. Can I say more? As one word. No, just, just one word. Just Hamilton. The
2: Hamilton. Hamilton. Stappen.
0: Oh, I'm going to say
2: Bottas,
1: obviously. So (laughs) that's that decided. That is all we've got time for today. So thank you very much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do give it a five stars on iTunes. It helps us out massively. And make sure you go to www.formulanerds.com where we have all our articles with all our news with the team of writers, three of which are here. We have four more that are also equally as brilliant that aren't on this weekend, but will be on future weeks. Charlotte, thank you very much. Thank you. Jay, thanks for coming. We will see you on Sunday for the Styrian Grand Prix race review. Thank you.
0: Podcast Network.